Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I think um, horses for courses, you know, whichever industry you're in, you need to be alert and aware to who could impact you. Um, and you need to, as I say, keep up to date and take any any case that comes up as a case study for yourselves, not just, oh, well, that was a casino. We don't need to worry about that one because there's, there's usually something you can learn from it. Welcome to the Jersey Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today with us, we have a GRCI lifetime member and a past chair of the GRCI, Carolyn Hansen. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Kwame. Good to be back. So we are having a chat today um, because by the time anyone is listening to this recording, it will be Compliance Professional Month. The IFCA conference would have already happened. And hopefully this conversation sort of adds to some of the things that have been discussed then. Carolyn, you're on the podcast because one of the issues that we sort of, I guess, workshopped in a few minutes that we chatted before this recording was that issue of regulatory convergences and that piece where your sort of obligations to regulator may not just end with one regulator, there's might be overlapped from other regulators based on legislation or what jurisdiction you're operating in. So one of the things I thought would be interesting to have a sense of is do you find that organizations or professionals are aware of their regulatory overlaps and do you think that that is it dependent on the size of the organization or size of the compliance team up when it comes to that awareness of those overlaps yeah i think from my experience there's a limited knowledge of the overlap and sometimes there's almost like a um willful lack of knowledge of the overlap so you have a compliance team that deals with the prudential regulator apra you might have a conduct team that deals with ASIC and the sort of corporate regulatory side. And then you have a financial crime team that deals with Austrac, and everybody kind of stays in their own lane. Um, I think the interesting thing that's sort of come out of uh, a couple of cases over the last couple of years is that the regulators are interconnected. And I think we've seen this at some of the GRCI conferences over the last couple of years as well. And so you know, what interests Austrac also interests APRA and ASIC as well. So, you know, with CBA, um, they went through their pain with Austrac and they were fined um, or they came to a settlement with Austrac. And then um, APRA were very interested in what that spoke about the culture within um, CBA. And then ASIC were also interested in what that meant vis-a-vis the responsibilities of the directors at CBA. And then on top of that, you've got shareholders who are interested in um, all of those regulatory intersections and bought class action against the organisation as well. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of overlap. Um, We're also seeing it in cases like the Crown Casino case where um, Austrac has come in on the anti-money laundering front. But we've had ASIC who were initially interested in the directorial responsibilities, but actually have now decided not to pursue that um, for a variety of reasons. And um, we've seen local or state uh, gambling regulatory authorities getting involved there as well. And then there are some other interesting spaces like cybersecurity, which is really a patchwork of both conduct and sector specific rules and regs. So. You've got um, 
there the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, you've got ASIC, you've got the Office of um, the Australian Information Commissioner <coughs> dealing with privacy. And then you might even get the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions. And of course, if you're a listed entity, then you're going to have the ASX involved as well. So I think for larger organisations, you've got quite a bit of contention going on there. And you've got to be quite nimble about managing all those regulatory relationships. I think if you're a smaller organisation, you've probably still got all of those things to think about, but you're perhaps not as well versed or you don't have the large subject matter expert teams who have a depth of knowledge in each of those regulatory spaces. So, you know, you're going to have to cover a, a vast array of regulatory differences and interactions and potential contentions. Um, without an awful lot of guidance at hand and it, it can be very challenging. Yeah sure and, and, and of course my next question is then it, from your experience and maybe from conversations you've had with other professionals like yourself it, you know if you're a small team how do you do it without having that experience or if you are part of a large team how do you make sure that you maintain connection with the other teams who are dealing with those other aspects that overlap with your the obligations you're responsible for? Yeah, I'd probably tackle the large team first. I suppose that's probably easier because at least you know you've got peers and colleagues that are dealing with similar issues in other spaces. Some organisations have a, a regulatory disclosures forum and you'll all come together. So you'll have the compliance people there, the financial crime people, the conduct people, the culture people, and they'll all be there and they'll look at a particular potential breach. And everybody will have a bit of a think about whether, you know, impacts their particular regulatory ambit. So that's that's going to be a good kind of intersection where you can all come together and, and talk it through. Um, if you don't have something like a regulatory disclosure forum in place or some, you know, it might come to your risk committees or something of that nature. But you kind of need a forum where you put it on the table and you all have a, a look at it, kick the tyres and, and, you know, decide whether you've all got equal or differing or possibly even contradictory obligations that you need to manage. In a smaller organisation, perhaps sometimes it's easier and more difficult all at the same time. Because you are a smaller organisation, you're probably going to have a finger on the pulse of many things, but it's going to be a shallow rather than a deep look into things. Um, and you're going to be you know, spread pretty thin across a number of elements. You're probably also in a smaller organisation going to utilise outsourced professionals, so accountancy firms or consultancy firms that will help you keep abreast of these kinds of issues and help you work through um, those particular contentions that you might come across. And, and large firms will do that as well. Obviously, they'll use professional services um, to help them through particularly, you know, ticklish or problematical situations. But it's it's difficult. And I think we've had this conversation previously about the fact that as a compliance professional, a big part of your job is reading and just keeping up with what's happening in the news. I mean, today, you know, there was an announcement around the Star Casino. Um, it, it may not feel like that is something that's particularly uh, interesting to a bank, but, you know, it, it's Oztrack taking a, um, action against the Star Casino. The Crown Casino um, statement of claim was 873 pages uh, and, you know, sadly, um, probably required reading for most anti-money laundering professionals. But um, you, you've got to keep abreast with things that are happening in the market and be thinking a little outside of the box as well. 
about could that impact us? How could it impact us? When could it impact us? And then again, if you're a small organisation, you probably need to be seeking some guidance um, from consultants or lawyers to help you. Uh, but it's it's a constant battle um, keeping up to date with everything that's happening. And I guess the added burden of ensuring that there's consultants and that outsourcing is actually doing it in the best way that won't come back to haunt you in the end. Yes, and I think Crown Casino was interesting because they bought KPMG in and then basically didn't listen to them from my reading. Um, and that's very difficult from the consultancy firm perspective as well. You know, you've put your best foot forward, you've given them your opinion and then they ignore you. Um, so, you know, as a board member, you'd have to say, well, why did we pay the money for that opinion if we're not going to um, listen to the advice that we're given? Um, and that would then throw you back. I think ASIC may then question um, whether you fulfilled your duties as a director and actually, you know, acted in good faith and in the best interests of the organisation if you get an advice and then you don't don't treat with it. So lots of different competing regulatory and legal obligations to consider there. Well, my next question was going to be examples, but I felt like you've given me a whole host of examples with the CBA and Crown and Star. Um, are there any examples, and you don't have to mention the company by name, but any other examples by scenario that, that might be useful in this conversation? Um, well, there, there's another big financial crime um, settlement that happened in the last couple of years. I think that one's a good one to look at. Um, again, I think Austrack is an interesting um regulator that they were quite quiet for a very long time and then they kind of burst into activity um, we've seen similar things uh, as you know I've taken a role in the Pacific um, and we've seen similar kind of contention situations uh, I'm dealing in Papua New Guinea at the moment we have a, a central bank there that's issued a prudential standard around basically consumer due diligence or customer due diligence but there's anti-money laundering legislation in place. So, you know, you have to understand which part of the legislation takes precedence. Um, and if they're in contention with, with each other, which one is, is going to come out on top, I suppose. So wherever you operate, there's the potential um, for these kind of contentious situations to arise between regulators. And I think you just have to be very alert to it. Um, it's particularly prevalent where you have multiple regulatory agencies or bodies. So in America, there are a plethora of both state and federal regulators to tussle with. And, and gambling is interesting because we have that situation here in Australia, whereas financial services, we have more of an overarching federal umbrella to consider. But in the gambling environment, you have to consider the, the state gaming authorities as well. So I think... Um, Horses for courses, you know, whichever industry you're in, you need to be alert and aware to who could impact you. Um, and you need to, as I say, keep up to date and take any any case that comes up as a case study for yourselves, not just, oh, well, that was a casino. We don't need to worry about that one because there's there's usually something you can learn from it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and you've already touched on this a little bit about, but really, how does operating internationally or regionally and as you've mentioned they're even just operating in a different state can can have implications how, how does that complicate um this issue of overlap yeah i mean uh, where i'm operating at the moment we have two different legal entity types so 
in one country we are a branch of the Australian entity and in another country we are a subsidiary of the Australian entity. And that brings with it different obligations because of those different constructs. So under the Australian um, anti-money laundering legislation, both of those operations are considered permanent offshore establishments, but there is a slightly different um, persona uh, to consider because one is a branch so it's obviously you know directly connected to the parent company whereas the other is a subsidiary under a holding company so you you do need to think both of your home and host regulation so you know where you're actually boots on the ground that's kind of your host regulator and then where your parent company is is probably your um your home regulator and that you need to think about that. And the same could be said about sort of state and federal. You need to think about which one's going to take precedence um, and consider, you know, who, who's the primary regulator for your organisation and your secondary regulator. Not comfortable terms, perhaps, but um, you know, who's going to come after you hardest, I suppose, as well, to some degree. Yeah. Well, excellent. And we're down to the, the end of the podcast, pretty much. I'd, at the point where I ask you if you have any words of wisdom for um, those in the financial crime space who are dealing with this layered, complex regulatory relationships. Uh, there are definitely some days when you feel like just saying, just give up and I don't know, become a florist or something. But um, I think uh, it, it's back to continuing professional development, keeping abreast, joining things like our anti-money laundering networking group at GRCI. It's really useful to hear the issues other people are tussling with. And sometimes, as I say, that can give you really good case study information that you can use in your own organisation. Keep an open mind and be open to reading. Um, the AICD magazine's very useful from a director's perspective and from an ASIC perspective. Um, but, you know, you need to find the sources that are going to be most useful to you. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.